0: a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away This is the story of Star Wars You can read along with
1: me in your book O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack Princess Leia addressed them
2: Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father He told me enough
3: He told me you killed him No I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. Welcome to "Don't Burn the Sacred Text," your official Clashing Sabers book podcast, where we go through all things canon. And today, I'm very excited because not only do I have my host, but I have my host who I'm just going to say it this way is as cool as the book we're going to be talking about. You'll understand more later. It's
0: Lindsay. It's impossible. This time, it's absolutely impossible.
3: You know, I might have to agree with you. We'll see. Yeah. Well, only a Sith speaks in absolutes. We'll see. Or, <laughs> or do the Jedi speak in absolutes? Again, we'll see. More to come. Uh, so, Lindsay, I just wanted to check in with you because you were actually able to go to... Well, I guess I should say what we're, uh, what we're talking about first, don't you think? Maybe... Yeah, it might
0: help clear a few things up. Okay.
3: Uh, We're talking about Master and Apprentice. I'm super excited. If you've been listening to Clashing Sabers, uh, to Don't Burn the Sacred Text, to really anything that I've been on, we've been talking about Master and Apprentice for about 75 years, it feels like. And it's finally here. So I'm super excited. Anyways, that said, you got to go to the, uh, the publishing panel while you were at Celebration, correct?
0: I did get to go to the publishing panel at Celebration.
3: So... Just give me because we got a lot to talk about with the book. Just give me a couple takeaways that really stuck out to you at that panel.
0: So I was actually really interested. One of the questions each author got asked was really about their writing style and what they do to get into the right mindset. Um, you know, the the panel itself was unique in the sense that it didn't actually really deal with Star Wars all that much. I was half expecting it to be more in the terms of book announcements, but this really was delving into each one of the author's kind of personal preferences. And one of the questions was what headspace do you really need to be in to write? And the varied answers on that panel, I thought were really telling. So Claudia Gray you know, she mentioned how first she, she really details her notes and she thinks to herself, well, why is this story important? What is the overarching message that I need to make sure is delivered? And she's very detailed and prepared in how she goes about setting all this up. Whereas E.K. Johnston goes, you know, my family actually has a cabin with no internet and I go there. She goes, I totally turn off for as many days as possible sit down and just write with no distraction. And then Twila Dawson goes, I create Spotify playlists for every book that I write and try to get into that mindset. So for Phasma, she said, you know, it was a lot of the Rogue One soundtrack, which is really intense and much faster than a typical Star Wars soundtrack. And she actually did say that. And I went back and I checked afterwards and her Spotify playlist for Phasma is the entire Mad Max Fury Road soundtrack. <laughs>
4: so, oh, so of he's course
0: kinda, it is. It's kind of like, well, that makes sense. So I listened to, and I've had it on repeat for the past few days, her playlist that she's listening to while writing Black Spire. Tell me about
3: it. What's on it?
0: Not what you would expect, my friend. Okay. It It's a lot of, you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the bands, but a lot of Young the Giant, uh, some Newfound Glory, and it, it seems like it's going to be like a, like, 1990s, early two thousand punk rock love story almost.
3: I mean, I can see that. What's her face? Uh, Val, isn't, no. Vi. Vi, yeah, is very, uh, she's very punk rock. She got that yeah. punk rock look to her. Well, yeah, she
0: does. So, I don't know. It, it was It wasn't what I expected from what we previously had from Delilah Dawson, but it's, getting me even more excited. I dig
3: it. I dig it. And, you know, it's... it's As a writer myself, uh, and obviously you're a writer too, like, it's it's interesting to see the different ways that people go about it because, like, I always feel like I write the best when I'm in, like, this frenzied rage almost. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I, I still, to this day, like, I had... When I was in college, I was writing a piece, actually about a friend of mine who was going to perform at South by Southwest, and went through all of this, got the press pass, everything like that. I get to the the bar where he's performing at, and it's twenty one and over. I'm like, okay, well, I got a press pass, like I'm just gonna be up there. You know, it was on on top of a building or whatever, watching. Nobody would let me in.
0: No. So
3: I had to because I I, I had this huge story, like I was the center story, and. So I had to stand in a back alley in Austin, which if you've been to Austin, you know those are not the greatest places. Looking over a fence, mind you, I'm five foot six, so looking over a fence is like me jumping up and down like a little kid and trying to see what was going on so I could report on it. And he walks off the stage and a whole bunch of other drama happens. Basically, I leave going, I have no idea what I'm going to write this story about. Go back to my dorm room completely pissed off make some coffee and i swear to you i wrote for almost two hours and it was the best thing i had ever written in my life to that point point. and i was like oh that's what i need i need to be really emotional about my writing and still like if i'm not really passionate about what i'm writing i i feel like it just kind of lacks something you know and so it's it's cool to see how these different authors go about it and I don't know if you've heard uh the panel or not but claudia gray actually did a so you're a fanfic writer who wants to be pro panel have you heard that one
0: i haven't watched it i saw that she was doing it but i didn't get the chance to go
3: yeah so uh what the force which is a great show if you like clashing saviors you'll love what the force um they have it on on their feed over there it's it's kind of distant um it sounds like they were recording it off of like a hand recorder um and it was Mm -hmm. a little bit far away but you can, for the most part, make out what she's saying um, so if you're if you're a Claudia Gray fan, which we are, and if you're not a Claudia Gray fan, what are you doing? Um, you can go listen to that um, and check that out there uh is there any was there any big revelations that came out of celebration as far as books are happening i I think the delilah Dawson stuff we knew. With the Black Spire yeah. and the Oddly Skywalker.
0: Enough. They they announced during Celebration just over Twitter that they were starting Project Luminous for 2020. They haven't said what it is, but they didn't actually announce it at Celebration. Hmm. Um, I so I that. thought that was interesting. One fun story though, it was I think it was Thursday night, the first night of Celebration. I went to the 501st Bash. And it was a Canto bite theme. So obviously the cosplay there is just incredible. And we go in, it was at the Museum of Science and Industry. And they set the whole thing up like a casino night. But the museum still kept all of the exhibits open. So it was this amazing event. They had the, the live band go in. There's hundreds of people there. The the cosplay is just absolutely beautiful. And my friend who I went with, he had actually made his jacket. And it was this nice like velour, black and gold. And it wasn't necessarily a specific character. It just really looked like something you would see in Canto Bite, you know? That's cool. So So we're standing there, we're online getting food, and we just hear behind us oh, wow, I love your jacket. And he turns around to say thank you, and who complimented it but Timothy Zahn? No. Yeah. And meanwhile, so me and Justin and just staring and looking at each other, we're like, be cool, be cool, be cool, be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who goes to a 501st event and Timothy Zahn pulls him aside for a compliment? Wow. Yeah. It was it was like the most starstruck I think you could ever see. And meanwhile, you know, we're there, and I was lucky enough to meet Ashley Eckstein three times. I hate you. And she, well, you're really going to hate me, because she's so gracious that the first time her and I had a very nice long conversation, I assumed, you know, going on the rest of the day, she would have hundreds of these. Second time I meet her, she goes, oh, Lindsay, hey. And, like, she remembered me. And she remembered what we had spoken about. And then the third time I met her, it was at in um, you know, I purchased a ticket for her autograph session. So I go up for an autograph. and she, you know, now I'm in a totally different outfit even. And she still remembered me, still remembered what we had spoken about, everything.
3: I quit. I'm done. I'm done. That's the end of the episode.
0: Between that and the Timothys on, I was like, I cannot believe how starstruck I get here.
3: And then Iden Versio.
0: Oh, how cool was that?
3: I would just like to say that I get, like, good friend status forever because I sat, like, for 45 minutes going through her different Twitch streams trying to figure out which one you were on. Um, Mostly because I... Was jealous, but that's oh, I will not forget that though. Oh man, good
0: time. I mean, for for those of you listening who who don't know the story, I I do have an Inferno Squad tattoo on my shoulder, and I got it pretty pretty much right after the book had come out. The video game hadn't even come out yet, but I was so awed by the character, and I knew that it was something really special. So I went out pretty immediately and I got the tattoo and I put it on Twitter. You know, the artist himself put it on Instagram and whatnot. And she had favorited it and I remember her retweeting it. And this was years ago and I thought it was so cool. So I had the chance for a photo op with Janina Gavankar at Celebration. So I go up and, you know, I thank her for everything. Take the photo. I go, "Ah, just so you know, I even have an Inferno Squad tattoo She looks at me, she goes, I'm sorry, what? So I show her and she's absolutely amazed. And she turns to a phone that she has set up and goes, I'm actually live streaming this holding on Twitch. You need to show everyone. So she, she brings me over to her phone and we're just talking and she's there. She goes, I remember the night you got this. I sent it over to the writers of the game saying, look at how incredible this is. Did you ever think this would ever happen? She goes, but I remembered when you got this. So we're standing there and she's live streaming the whole thing. We're standing there chatting and her handler is there trying to pull me away. So finally she keeps pulling me back. I finally leave. And because Brandon is the best friend ever and found the live stream and found where I was in it, you hear her talk to the handler after I leave and the handler's going, You can't do that. You can't keep you can't do that again. There's so many people here. And she goes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was just so cool. That was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> this is,
3: these are the things you have time to do when you're not at celebration. Womp womp. Womp womp. Anyways, good times. You know all the celebration stuff is great. I'm 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 gonna be honest though, like kind of worn out you know almost i guess like everybody's doing their celebration recaps and their teaser recaps and everything like that and i'm like all right but can we get to november so we can get some new content please
0: yeah yeah
3: because even
0: even just more information
3: yeah just stuff just and i mean it again like it's celebration so it's you know Silly to complain because this was a huge celebration in terms of just the things that happened, uh, the things that happened for people in our network, uh, just all, all kinds of stuff. But um, I'm ready for I'm, I'm ready for some new actual story parts to come out because. Master and Apprentice just really I'm like, OK, I'm in it now, like I want to analyze things, I want to dig deep into things, I'm like, what movies can I watch, <laughs> you know, like
4: yeah. this
3: book really just got me in. The mindset. And so let's go ahead and jump right into that. And I want to start with this question. This is something you and I were talking about uh, a little bit yesterday over text. And I think it's something that this this book really touches upon. Do you think and why do you think um because I know your answer, Qui-Gon gives us an example of exactly what a Jedi should be in this book.
0: What do you mean by that? Can
3: you like Do you think he is the example for what all Jedi should aspire to be?
0: I absolutely do.
3: Okay, so why? I
0: think that he shows himself to be an exemplary Jedi. Maybe not for where the Order currently is, but he shows where they started at one point, we can assume, and where they should strive to be in the future. Because he is able to so clearly realize where they should be putting their focus. And he thinks so critically about what the council is doing, kind of the state of the union of the order at any given time. And he pushes the boundaries and he questions things. And that's what a Jedi should be. And I firmly believe, I'm sure we're going to get into this later, but I firmly believe that the force knew that. And the Force chose him and gave him certain visions and certain gifts that it did not give anybody else.
3: Yeah, no, I I definitely think you're onto something there. There's one point in particular that I think really points out why he is the the great the most ideal Jedi i don't i don't want to say he's the greatest jedi because we were kind of having that debate yesterday i think luke is the greatest jedi for talking terms of like accomplishments but i do think qui-gon is the ideal jedi and there's one point it's on uh page 40 and my note literally says most jedi it's it's (laughs) qui-gon talking uh and he says what use are ideals if we cannot fit them into the universe we as we find it Qui-Gon had once asked, "If our beliefs tell us one thing and the needs of the real people tell us another, can there be any question of which we should listen to?" And I'm like, "Yes, this is exactly what was wrong with the Jedi—is they were so stuck in this, like, okay, these are our beliefs, but this is the need right in front of our face." And as somebody from a faith background, like I, I see that a lot. You know, you you go to a church and it's like. Okay, yeah, you you have the correct dimensions of your church, and you have the right rugs and whatever kind of craziness, you know. And they're like, "Look at us! We've got seventeen statues of uh, the Virgin Mary." And it's like, okay, but are you helping the poor? Are you feeding the homeless? Are you know, um, kind of thing. And to me, that's what a, a Jedi should be doing. Like, it's not about having your beliefs; it's about putting your beliefs into action. And I think that's something that Qui-Gon really did. And I mean, we see it in this book, you know, he, he has this vision and his gut tells him, his instincts tell him that this is something he needs to pay attention to. And he does. And of course, you know, it ends well for everybody. Um, what, did you, what did you think about him getting the vision? Did you feel like that was a well-used story point?
0: I did, partly because this is something that surprised me a little bit. He seems so off-put by it. You know, I would assume, this is such a credit to Claudia Gray, because I would assume that when Qui-Gon Jinn, for the first time, had a Force vision, and he realized that he was able to do things and no other Jedi could, I would imagine he was excited about it and he took it to heart immediately and really ran with it and let it shape him and the rest of his story instead what we get is he has these force visions and he's scared of it you know it's it's very i think true to other superhero origin stories that we have but it's it's this fear in him almost not only Is it true? Is it not? But even this fear, is this going to become true? And he doesn't know what to do right away. And I like seeing him kind of struggle with that for a little bit.
3: Well, and I think it it sets him up against Anakin in a way because Anakin has this vision and is going to do anything he can to prevent it, right? And he goes to the extremes to do that. Qui-Gon still commits to, okay, the Force is showing me something. I'm going to continue to let it evolve. And he follows where I guess the breadcrumbs lead him instead of like taking a loaf of bread and creating his own breadcrumbs. You know what I mean?
0: That's such a good way to put it. You know, he doesn't He doesn't have that. This could be a different discussion because I'm not totally sure which word to use here. But Anakin, when he has these force visions, has a little bit of, I don't know if it's arrogance or hubris about it. But Qui-Gon doesn't have that. Qui-Gon thinks, okay, this is a place for me to learn. I need to open myself up to this. Um, really, in a way, we had only seen, you know, think about it. We've now only seen three Jedi, really, who have these premonitions. And that's premonitions. Qui-Gon, Ahsoka. Premonitions, you say? <laughs> was good but it's it's Qui-Gon Ahsoka and Anakin and Qui-Gon and Ahsoka are really the only ones who take it in stride and think oh my god I don't know what's happening I need to open myself up to the force and figure this out and figure out if it's something I can change or even something I should change
3: well and you know you you touched on the hubris idea and That's something that Qui-Gon says, and I think it's interesting that Claudia Gray chose to use that exact word um, in the text because, you know, of course, with Luke having said it now in Last Jedi, it's a much more loaded term when it comes to Star Wars, but he even says to Obi-Wan, like, this could just be my ego and my hubris, but something is telling me that it's not, and that's getting me to think that something that's telling me it's not is getting me to think that maybe there's more to this, you know? And so that that was a really powerful moment um, for me. The prophecies were a driving force in this book, and I want to take a minute to to really dig into those because it's kind of going to shape our conversation and shape how we look at these characters. So the first question I have for you is, just in general, how did you feel about the prophecies and how they were used in this book?
0: For the most part... You know, there are some exceptions. I thought that they were used really well. They were written beautifully. For a lot of them, though, it was so on the nose, maybe because we know where they end up, yeah. and now we can not interpret them correctly. Um, there were a couple, though, that I'm still kind of like, oh, what does this mean? When are we going to get to see this? I want to see this story shape out. Um, but I mean, I think that in terms of how they work them into the story, Claudia Gray did a really good job of not hitting you in the face with, you know, we, we take a break from our current story to show you this prophecy. Yeah. She, she really re- sewed it in pretty well.
3: Well, and. And credit to Drew for this, because he's the one who kind of brought this to my attention. But when you have a prophecy, it can really take away the agency of the character, you know, which is exactly what it does to Anakin in the prequels. He has no choice but to be the chosen one, you know. Um, And so when you're when you're dealing with a prophecy and especially when you're dealing with the chosen one prophecy because there are so many different points of views and opinions on that. You're treading in dangerous territory, you know? And so what I really appreciated about how Claudia Gray handled this is the prophecies existed, but the real debate wasn't about whether the prophecy was true or not. It's whether it was literal or metaphorical, you know, and and how to interpret them. And so... I think it's really interesting because you have Qui-Gon you know, and Dooku kind of going back and forth of uh, this is literal, this is not, this is literal, this is not, right? And then finally, like, this book is the story of Qui-Gon coming to realize that the, the prophecies are literal, which of course would lead him to believe in the Chosen One, right? But then think about the end of Revenge of the Sith. What does Obi-Wan say to Anakin? You were the Chosen One. You were meant to bring balance to the Force, not leave it in darkness. Well, where did that journey of him even believing the Chosen One was a thing start? It was in this book. It was in here where Obi Wan's like, this is just foolishness. Like, I'm literally looking at a quote that says, and the whole f- Chosen One nonsense, like, he literally says those words. And then, what, 15 years later, he's staring at who he thinks is the Chosen One. And then you even go to uh, Twin Sons in Rebels, and he doubles down on, yeah, the Chosen One is a thing. And it all happened because of this book. I feel like this is the episode, like, one half, you know? Like, it's really what got things set up to where they were in episode one, where these characters had these beliefs that, that would motivate the entire arc of the the story.
0: Yeah, it was... Weird for me because I always assumed watching episode one that everyone kind of just knew the chosen one was a thing and everyone accepted this prophecy. So now that we are, you know, figure eight years earlier, people are debating the legitimacy of the prophecy even was a really big leap for them to take. Well, people are
3: are ignoring them just in general, like it's it's these rogues the Dooku's and the Qui-Gon's and the, the Rael who are even putting any credence into them.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, not only that, they think that even just learning about them could be the path to the dark side. So sometimes it's, they, they dismiss it as pure nonsense. Other people are dismissing it as darkness and something that you can't take up.
3: Yeah, and it goes to that idea of only a Sith deals in absolutes. Like, if we're going to believe that these are absolutely true, then it it would be a Sith like ideology, right? You know, it's it's easy to see how they could lead to the to the dark side because we see that obviously with Anakin, um, and I think we see that with Dooku in this book. I want to get your opinion on this um, because we do have uh, Dooku Jedi Lost coming out the week of of this release and so to me i feel like dooku got back into reading these prophecies took them literal and tried to basically control the future tried to get ahead of them uh and realized that the jedi needed to be destroyed or at least be brought down um and rebuilt or something of that nature how did you feel about like Dooku and his relationship with the the holocron, his conversion to the dark side, just in general for this story?
0: I kind of got the impression that before he took on Qui-Gon as an apprentice, you know, we do know that he was studying them at some point. I got the impression that he knew it was leading him to the dark side. And he kind of took a momentary break thinking I can't handle this. And then when Qui-Gon kept insisting and insisting, He, you know, picked up the torch again, thinking I'm strong enough now I can do this. You know, it it almost felt like someone who had a drug addiction or something and they were able to clean themselves up for a while and then for them to go back and say, "Okay, you know what? I've been so good for so long. I'm sure I could go back to this place or see these people again and I'll be totally fine. I'm fine. And sure enough, he wasn't. So it was weird to see how Qui-Gon led Dooku to the dark side. And even at the time of this book, and probably at the time of his death, never even knew it.
3: Yeah. It reminded me a lot of, have you seen Creed? I haven't, no. Okay. Well, it's like the the addition to the Rocky series or, or yeah. a spinoff or whatever, right? Um, and I love the Rocky movies, but there's a very classic trope in there of like the young buck who's arrogant and thinks he can do, you know, win every fight going to the old veteran who who doesn't want anything to do with it anymore. Right. So. Adonis Creed goes to I almost said Apollo, which is his father. No, Adonis Creed goes to Rocky, who's just running his restaurant, living a simple life kind of thing, you know, um, he's like, you got to train me. You got to train me like I need to do this. This is who I need to be. Right, and Rocky doesn't want to do it. Doesn't want to do it, and eventually gets dragged back into it because he he realizes like this kid is gonna fight whether I want him to fight or not, you know. And for those of you who are familiar with Rocky series, like Apollo Creed, Adonis Creed, father like died in the ring, so there's that that link there, right? There's like we have direct evidence that this is a a negative thing, but he knows that. Adonis is gonna fight no matter what so he might as well be the one to train him you know and make okay. sure he does it the right way which is exactly what I think kind of happened with Dooku here because we see him and he's like why do you have this why are, Why is it here and Qui-Gon says well I'm sorry I'll take it you know I won't bring it back to your apartment he's like that's not the problem the problem is you looking at it at all and then later in that scene Dooku's the one that brings it back to him and he's like you're gonna look at these anyways so i might as well make sure you handle him in the right way right and so Mm -hmm. and then you add on top of that your metaphor of like the drug addiction i think is is very apt because then he does kind of you know start to to fall or i i almost have trouble calling it a fall anymore i why because anakin fell to the dark side because he was deceived and manipulated Right, okay. he made the choice. He he deserves to stand for the things that he did as Darth Vader, um, in a, in a literal sense. Of course, there's there's the mythology element of it, but that's a whole other story. But Duku is a Jedi here who uses Force lightning, right? And he's doing it while he's Qui Gon's master. Qui Gon's about probably about fifteen at the time, so you've got a a, a few years before Duku even leaves the order and then was he was he in communication with Sidious while he was a Jedi that seems extremely unlikely you know to me uh because mm. that would have been the time when Maul was around and so you have to imagine he started exploring these powers on his own and that's doesn't he say to Obi-Wan like not I can be more powerful than you can possibly imagine but that there's more to the force than the Jedi Why would show I don't you. never
0: taught. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
3: And so maybe that's kind of, I feel like I feel like it was almost more of a choice uh, because I never, and I, I've heard a lot of people say this, Dooku never really feels like a Sith. You know? He doesn't mm-hmm. feel like Maul. He doesn't feel like Vader. He doesn't feel like Sidious. He doesn't even feel like a Snoke or a Kylo. Uh, he feels like somebody who just, Use, saw through the manipulation, or saw through the, not the manipulation, saw through the flaws of the Jedi and decided to go a different route about it and maybe took it a little bit too far.
0: Okay, I have a question for you then. One of the biggest parts of this book, both plot-wise, theme-wise, everything, is the relationship between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. And how really they are the odd couple of the Jedi order. And by no means should this partnership work. And they're both starting to realize it and think maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Maybe we need to find a different route. So we know by the end of it that their pairing was pretty much intentional through the council, through the force, through whatever you have because they understood, you know, Obi-Wan was this rebellious kid, and maybe he needed a rebellious master so that this way he could be like, wait, 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 no, 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 that's, that's not where I want to go. That pairing obviously worked in the end for both of them. If Qui-Gon had any other apprentice who maybe couldn't push back on him or question him the way Obi-Wan did... And if he had an apprentice who went along with everything he said, also got really into these prophecies, got really into fighting the Jedi Council, do you think Qui-Gon would have also eventually taken Dooku's route to the dark side of the Force or left the Jedi Order entirely?
3: Dark side of the Force, no. Left the Jedi Order... I mean, I could definitely, I could, see it. I could see him leaving the Jedi Order and continuing to do Jedi things, you know, in a very Ahsoka kind of way, which is interesting. Because as you were talking about the the odd couple, it got me thinking about how Anakin and Ahsoka were paired together. Um, I guess it would all really, like, it depends on the timeline, you know, like, did he, is Anakin this Padawan that just does whatever he says and he survives the phantom menace, like I think the timeline would have affected things a lot because of that the, the quote I pulled on earlier, which is like what if our beliefs don't fit into the universe that we live in? Should we choose our beliefs or should we choose to help the people around us, you know, to to face the need right in front of our face? And I feel like that's always what Qui-Gon was going to do, you know? And so <clears throat> If leaving the Jedi would better serve the Force and better serve the people around him, I think he would have left the Jedi. But I don't think he would have, I guess, been afraid of using the Jedi as almost a means to an end. You know? Like, I'm thinking very practically, like, okay, we have the Republic's money behind us. I have access to any tools that I need. You know, I've got this place with access to basically the greatest library in the world versus you know like out on my own whereas ahsoka you know she goes out on her own during the time of the clone war so she does give that up but of course right after that is the fall of the jedi and of the republic so you have the dark times so she wouldn't have had access to that same amount of information and so you know that changes things a bit. And she was also, you know, betrayed by the Order, whereas Qui-Gon, even though he was pushed back against, he he was never really, he was never betrayed by the Order. He kind of, he was just kind of like, sh- shrugged his shoulders and rolled his eyes and was like, all right, yeah, sure, you know. Um, that's an interesting thought. I don't yeah, think
0: Yeah, so. it, it almost goes with, you know, this is something... I actually speak about pretty often with some friends. The, you need to think of the force almost as its own character.
3: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: And it having really its own will, its own intent, and it pushes things through. So in this, you know, that pairing and where Qui-Gon ended up and why it really does seem like the will of the force and the force actually, Acting on its own agency.
3: I, yeah, I completely agree. So like there's, I I actually have a story from this school year for that because going into this year, like my big thing was I'm going to really try not to get like frustrated or angry at the students for little things, for things that aren't important, you know? And because I tend to be like, I want you to do it the way I said to do it. And I want it done yesterday. What is so hard about that? And I know that's just my natural you know, way of doing things. And I have this student this year. And she works her tail off. But she takes forever to answer a question. You could ask her, like, what's your name? And she's going to sit there for five minutes and consider every possible name she could have. And why that is her name. And what it means that it is her name. And on and on and on. And she doesn't care if you rush her. She's going to still sit there and think through everything. Right? And mm-hmm. the beginning of the year, that was very frustrating for me until I started to get to know her more. And I actually had a, I had a meeting with her a few weeks ago and I actually said, I, I want to thank you. She kind of looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, I'm really bad about like, let's answer this. Let's do this quick. Let's always just get to the next thing. And you forced me to realize that there are different needs that different students have and that I need to be aware of those needs. And so I think you kind of have the same thing with Qui-Gon. He realizes here with Obi-Wan that, okay, he was put here for a reason both by the council and by the force. And there's something that I'm going to learn through that. And that's what I think more than anything sets Qui-Gon apart from the rest of the Jedi. And it's, he, was, he was the greatest student. He was always learning, you know? He, he learned from Jar Jar. He learned from Anakin, you know? He, he goes to the Force and he continues to learn from it, becomes part of it, and then he passes on that knowledge. And and for anybody who's ever taught anything, you know, when you become a teacher, you become just as much a student. So, I think this book really made that very apparent that he's he's a student who's always learning. I don't remember what the question was anymore, but God, I love it.
0: <laughs> it's it's funny too when you mention um, you know how he's learning from characters like Jar Jar and Anakin. They kind of throw it to him as insults at one point. You know, yeah. it's. Uh, Averro says, "You know, you you always were soft for a sad story, and that's how people really think of him It's just, oh, he's he's so stupid, you know, he's so weak because he cares about these things and these people. When in reality, that's one of his greatest strengths. Well, and that's
3: what he does with uh, Pax and Rohara, right? Which is yes, he, yeah, he sees, and I'm trying to remember where the quote is at." But he basically says people are... What is it that he says? People are better than their worst act. Right?
0: Oh, I I got it saved. Okay. I think it's actually Obi-Wan quoting. Obi-Wan
3: quotes, yeah. yeah. Obi-Wan quotes. Qui-Wan. Um,
0: Here it is. People are more than their worst act, Obi-Wan recited. It was something Qui-Gon had said to him many times, which at last seemed to be sinking in. At least most people, and they are... Om- they are also more than the worst thing ever done to them.
3: I mean, that's just the most Star Wars thing I've ever heard.
0: Right? I mean, I mean, the best part is, too, you know, it's it's weird because we are used to older Obi-Wan, you know, even even as a Padawan, still eight years older than this. So to to think that there was a time where he didn't understand that and he didn't get it, that's so weird to me cuz i think of obi-wan and you know if if i read this quote people are more than their worst act at least most people and they are also more than the worst thing ever done to them i could absolutely picture him saying that oh yeah and i could absolutely picture that being something he passes on to anakin or ahsoka so for there to be a time where he's just learning this and, you know, two weeks before this story happened, he maybe didn't understand that or agree with it is so cool.
3: Well, you know what it makes me think of is Empire Strikes Back when Yoda is talking about how Luke is foolhardy and, and his eyes are always on the horizon. He's he doesn't have what it takes to be a Jedi. And what does Obi-Wan say to him? Was I any different Says, when he trained that me? Yeah. And like. This, to me, feels like Luke if he had access to the Jedi growing up. Like, oh, no, this is the right... Because, right, isn't that what Anakin does? Anakin's like, this is right and this is wrong and I'm gonna do whatever I need to to make right, right, and wrong, wrong, you know? And he takes it to an extreme, which Obi-Wan doesn't. Would Luke have? We don't know, you know, but... if. Very much, I very much feel that there's a connection between Obi-Wan and Luke at this time period. Because I mean, Luke's what, 19 in a new hope? Obi-Wan's 17 mm-hmm. here.
0: Yeah, and it's so weird because that line actually kind of always I don't want to say rubbed me the wrong way, but it always stuck out because it's it's just one of those lines that I always disagreed with, you know, because seeing Empire Strikes Back, at the time, it was the third Star Wars movie I had ever seen. First one I saw was Phantom Menace, then A New Hope, then Empire Strikes Back. So seeing younger Obi-Wan first, we still don't see him as this young, reckless kid. So when he has that line in Empire Strikes Back, it's kind of that, wait, what moment? You know, like, you you were that different, Obi-Wan. I watched you grow up. I watched you as a young man you were that different. You weren't reckless. So to see stories like this where it's like, oh, you were that young and reckless. All right, I'm in.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it definitely brings a lot more to the story and and gives it a more complete arc. You know, everybody's talking about wanting Obi-Wan between uh, Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, which, I mean, I'm not going to complain if we get it, that's for sure. Uh, but... <laughs> this book made me realize how much i wanted of him before the phantom menace you know and and his relationship with qui-gon because i think that's really interesting because you really do have almost this this family tree uh between or, or across the jedi we see in the film right you know qui-gon well heck yoda trained dooku who trained qui-gon who trained obi-wan who trained luke who tra- you know who trained rey So you have this direct lineage almost of a Jedi family and how do they, how do they affect each other? How does that, how does that grow? How does that change? You know, what lessons do they take? What lessons do they grow on? And I think we have a lot in here of lessons that Obi-Wan would take and evolve and use to train Luke, right? Like what's his main focus in training Luke in A New Hope about the force? Sure, he has a lightsaber. He trains him with a lightsaber, but he's training with him a light. He's training him with a lightsaber to get him to understand the force. You know, the lightsaber is is an avenue. It's not okay. The way.
0: Not to get totally distracted, but you said a bit of a trigger word for this story, which is lightsaber. In so many ways, and training in the lightsaber. How? absolutely shocked were you that at this point Qui-Gon wasn't teaching him any other form of lightsaber training. It was all just the basic parrying. So to see, and I think that's such a, such a beautiful metaphor for their relationship because to see what Obi-Wan feels as I'm stuck in this place, I'm stuck, I'm not growing, I'm not allowed to grow. And then for him to, have that understanding of it's not that he's keeping me here because he doesn't think I can't do it. It's him keeping me here because I need to perfect these things. And then once I perfect these things, everything else comes together. And I think that that thought is so true of not only the lightsaber combat, but just their relationship together. Because then when we see them in Phantom Menace during the duel of the fates, it's, pretty freaking clear that Obi-Wan is not doing just the basic movements, you know, he's there doing all these amazing acrobatics, just like in his relationship with Qui-Gon. You know, it's it's not just them having these small conversations. They really do, when we meet them in Phantom Menace, have this camaraderie, have this understanding of each other, and they value their relationship together.
3: See, it's funny that you say that that's a trigger word, because to me as someone with a martial arts background and as I've started my own sword play and, and lightsaber training, I'm right when like Obi-Wan was complaining about it. I'm like, Qui-Gon definitely has a reason for it. It's got to do something with like the basics and making sure, you know, the basics. I don't know why he's still doing it this late, but like it made perfect sense to me um, because you know, if, if you don't have that foundation you don't have anything to build upon, right? Like, mm-hmm. and that's just like a basic of martial arts. If if you can't throw a, a good kick, like they're not going to throw you how to show or th- show you how to throw combinations of kicks, right? Like if you mm-hmm. if you can't do a basic parry, like you can't do do combos or things like that, right? But what I really appreciated about that more than anything, and and this is something this book really did a lot, which I appreciated, is Qui Gon never just gives Obi Wan an answer. He's always forcing Obi-Wan to think of what the answer is and why the answer is. And that's something, you know, as a teacher, but also as a student that I appreciate because, like, for example, with with my lightsaber training, there's not really a school anywhere around here, so I'm kind of doing it like, on my own, Fode and Steve are helping me out and stuff like this, right? So I'm I'm watching um one of the the lightsaber tournaments and I'm blanking on which one I was watching at the time. But basically I noticed like, okay, some people are training with some people are fighting with two hands, some people are fighting with one hand. So I text Fode and and I said, you like, Why is this? And he said, Why do you think it is? And so I started throwing ideas out there and throwing ideas. And he's like, okay, you're good. Keep going, keep going. And he never straight up told me anything. He would give me like extra details about an idea that I had come up with, but he never just was like, oh yeah, this is why. And I feel like I have a much more grounded understanding of when, where, and why I would use one hand versus two hands, which I think is exactly what Qui Gon is doing here. You know, in a in a very literal sense with like, yes, you need to have the basics of your you know, sword play, but then also With the force. You know it's a metaphor for that. And like if you don't at the very base. Trust the force as your foundation as a Jedi. What are you doing? Which if we want to jump to the end of the book. Completely informs his choice at the end of the book. To not join the council. What did you think about that? The whole. Because I I know I was like. Wait what? He got offered a spot on the council? How did you feel about the whole council angle?
0: I was really shocked. Um, It was tough to feel the tension there only because we obviously as the reader know he doesn't take it. Um, So it it was harder to feel the tension. But at the same time, I was so intrigued to see what made him change his mind. I think I was shocked not just by the fact that they had offered it, but by the fact that he at first has every intention to accept it and is just biding his time. I thought that was more interesting than the offer itself, only because we knew he declines the offer.
3: Well, I thought it was interesting because he, yes, he accepts the offer, but the whole time I was thinking he's going to reject this because of something that's going to happen with Obi-Wan and he's going to feel this attachment to Obi-Wan out of nowhere and, you know, this mission is going to bring them together and student and teacher are one now. And he can't go on the council because he cares too much about Obi-Wan's training. And it wasn't that. It wasn't that at all. It was purely the force. And as when I got there, I'm like, of course it is. That's like the Qui-Gon thing. That's the most Qui-Gon thing that it could be. And in the end, I, I thought this was super powerful. You have Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon agreeing to stay together because of the force and because of what they can each learn from each other and i know i know our our good friend foad hates using the word master in training because he he believes you know we're always learning from one another um and and i feel like that's very much where qui-gon's at here like He wants to learn from Obi-Wan as much as Obi-Wan is going to learn from him. And that's kind of what he's talking about with the journey, uh, journeying into the force and and things like that. So I have one question, and this kind of harkens back to what we were talking about before. Um, It's kind of a two-part question. Let's start with this. Do you ever think Qui-Gon touched the dark side? And when I say that, I don't mean, like, did he realize the dark side was out there? Did he maybe feel the dark side of the Force at times? I'm thinking more like Obi-Wan at the end of Phantom Menace, where he actually acts out of dark side energy, dark side passion or anger.
4: Hmm.
0: Where he actually acts out of it? No, I don't. I think his intentions are always kind of too pure i also think that part of the reason is because we can't you know knowing what happened and where everything ended up we can't define the light side of the force as the jedi
3: yeah that's
0: true. i think I think if we were to say the Jedi are always right, the you know, every single thing that the council and that Yoda said and did should be taken as absolute truth and absolute light. That's not the case. He was questioning the Jedi. Sure. But I don't think he ever questioned or steered away from the light side of the force.
3: Yeah. And like Luke says, you know, the, the, the light does not belong to the Jedi. The force does not belong to the Jedi. So the reason I really wanted to ask that is because of what we see at the end when he takes the stone out of his pocket and gives it to... Does he give it to Pax? He gives it to Pax. Um, and, And it mentions Felucia where he got the stone. And to me, I immediately went to, oh, it's a girl. You know, like what woman was he in love with on Felucia? What happened there? And that got me, you know, going down the line of, okay, well, if Qui-Gon had a woman that he loved, and then Obi-Wan had a woman that he loved, and then Anakin had a woman that he loved, like, did Qui-Gon talk to Obi-Wan about his relationship with Satine? Did, you know, and and if he did, then why did Obi-Wan not really do it with Anakin? It just really got my... Thoughts rolling about like what happened on Felucia, and we need that story. And did he forego that relationship because of the Force? Did he forego that relationship because of the dark side of the Force? You know that kind of thing. So basically, what I'm trying to ask is, what do you think happened on Felucia, and what are the implications of that?
0: Ooh, good question. So i I want to preface it with two things. One, we had spoken earlier in the episode about the publishing panel. One thing Claudia Gray did make clear was she really wants to write volumes about Gon's life. You know, she doesn't just want, she, she took this one story that she was given and tried to put in as much as she could, because it's obviously not guaranteed what she will or won't be able to do in the future. But she made it very clear that she loves Qui-Gon and she wants to write literally volumes about his entire life. Um, so it may, after hearing that, it kind of made sense that she would put nuggets like this in it because she really is kind of, I think setting herself up where they're like, Hey, you know, since you have all these ideas, why don't don't you just flush them out in 300 pages? Um, I also, this my, my second point that I want to preface this with is I certainly took it the same way where in that scene I thought, okay, that's, That's the person he fell in love with. It was on Felucia. We don't know. Um, So with all that being said, there's, there's certainly something pretty crucial there that had to have had some kind of lasting impact on him. I think it is a way for us to say Qui-Gon Jinn, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Anakin Skywalker all three of them went through this very similar thing where they did fall in love at one point and they did have these thoughts about leaving the order. And, you know, if, if things had lingered on a little bit further, or if in Obi-Wan's case, if you asked me to, I would have left the Jedi order. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are far enough over to the light side of the force that they resist it. And they are maybe even a little disillusioned with the Jedi Order because of it. Whereas Anakin is, I don't want to say going to the dark side, but he's more in the center. And he questions things and thinks, I can have both. And that's the biggest difference between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and later on Anakin. Is that Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan think, this is the Jedi Order, I need to, to, to sacrifice what I want for it. I wouldn't be surprised if that is when Qui-Gon maybe starts to become a little bit more vocal in his questioning of the Jedi Order, maybe because he resents them. So it's totally possible that up until that point, he would go along with things that the Council said, and he would buy into every single doctrine that the Jedi Order had. But because he had that experience on Felucia, because he was able to fall in love he now pushes back a little bit more than he would have in the past. And that, of course, leads to this story and his relationship with Obi-Wan and eventually taking on Anakin and bringing him back to the temple.
3: Yeah, I don't... I feel like Qui-Gon always pushed back against the Council because I feel like Dooku kind of encouraged that ty- t- type of attitude, you know? And that's one of the things I found really interesting here is you have Dooku, who is very formal, very regal. Um Rael even calls him stiff, you know, like he even sleeps like a plank. But his two apprentices are Rael Averos who is a slob who go, you know, is basically like he's basically like Qua- Quinlan Voss and Han Solo had a baby together and then they gave him a lightsaber. That's what I felt like um <laughs> Rael was. And Oh man, that's a whole new shipping thing. There's an episode of uh Starships for you, Han Solo and Quinlan Boss. Get somebody to ship.
0: That. Just, I'm in it.
3: I'm just saying. Um, anyways. So and, and then of course you have Qui-Gon. It's interesting that like you would have such a formal person encouraging these these rebels, basically. You know? Um it, it's almost like you see in like a movie where you have like a royal family right and and the uh, the kid starts to you know oh, i don't want to just follow all these rules and and eat you know these formal dinners and go to these balls and marry who you want me to marry and you know out of one side of his mouth the king's like no you have to do this but he's like really doing that little like wink like yeah i got you go i'll give you a distraction kind of thing and that's what i felt like was happening with dooku here and so i I feel like Qui-Gon was always kind of known for pushing back against the the Council, but maybe what happened on Felucia took him from being somebody like Rael, who they kind of kind of pushed in a corner almost, and was like, "You just you just stay over there, because you're not really who we want a Jedi to be," right? And then they're, they, because he chose the order over this love over this woman they, that he, he loved, they're kind of like, mm, come, you can, you can come back over this way a little bit. You can come sit at our table. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, that could, be, I mean, I also got the impression too, though, that Qui Gon's back to the council kind of ebbed and flowed.
3: Yeah, based on the needs and the time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, and he he even mentioned, you know, like less so in recent years, things like that.
3: I found it really interesting that Yoda voted for him not to be on the council.
0: I would have liked to dig into that a little bit I more. I
3: really for would sure. have. Like cuz we don't ever get Yoda's reasoning, right? Like No. It, no, we don't. It's interesting because you have Yoda voting against Qui-Gon being on the council, which for the time being we'll just take for granted as he knew Qui-Gon would push back against things, right? And then at the same time you have Yoda being the one to say, like, No, we're not we're not gonna revoke our offer to Qui-Gon because of what's happening. So it's this this push pull between them that I find really interesting and I wonder if that's part of what really gave Yoda the respect for Qui-Gon, that when you get to to the Lost Missions and he's hearing Qui-Gon's voice, his first instinct... Well, his first instinct is to say, like, oh, I'm just hearing things. But you can almost tell in his body language in those episodes, he's trying to convince himself more than he really believes that. You know? Like, he knows something bigger is going on, and I think that's because it's Qui-Gon. And I think he knows... If he were to be become senile or delusional, like Qui Gon's voice would not be the one he would be hearing.
0: I mean, I think this this book did a really unique way of showing Yoda. I guess in not only in terms of his relationship with Qui Gon, but there were parts at really any time we saw Yoda, where it was like, oh, this is why Sidious was able to take over. This is why the Jedi fell. You know, we have the, the section where Qui-Gon basically has these visions and he is fighting with Yoda at one point. It's around page like 210. Let me see. It's page 212. Yeah. Yeah. And they're And they're they're having this argument about what the Jedi can and can't do and what the mandate allows. And Yoda is insisting that as a Jedi, he can't make these decisions. This isn't for him. He doesn't. Ha- he is totally stepping away from any kind of ownership of making these decisions. And he's saying that they can only take these orders from the Senate and from the Chancellor. And this is all for the Republic. And the Jedi are here for the Republic. But and like you read these and it's like, Well, no wonder Sidious knew he could take advantage of you because you, Yoda, have total faith in the Republic and you don't want to have this this power, this control. You know, whoever is sitting in that seat, you're gonna follow them blindly, whereas Qui-Gon is the only one who's saying, It's not up to people, it's not up to us, it's up to the force. Well, and I think
3: we kind of have a different point of view on it as the viewer because we do have the full story, and we see what happens because the Jedi serve the Republic more than they serve the the Force, you know. And of course, like Yoda makes some really good points in this argument. So the argument, basically, if you if you forgot what's going on there, it's basically Qui Gon saying like, "I need to be here trying to end this this." slavery that's happening right under the republic's nose and yoda's like dude leave that slavery alone that's not our mission right now like you need to get this hyperspace corridor open and what 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 it ends with is like you pointed out like yoda just saying we serve the republic the exact quote is i've got it right here he says many ways there are of serving the right we work within our mandates and there do as much good as we can To do otherwise to substitute our judgment for that of the republic is to is to repeat the mistakes of the past. First of all, I want to know what the mistakes of the past were. Mm -hmm. Um but just as as my point of view on as a teacher, like there's times that somebody'll come in and they'll be like, You should do this or or this is what's true about that student. And you're like, But I've I've been here all year with them. I know it's I know it's true about the student. And you're just like, yeah, uh uh-huh. And then when they close the door, you go back to doing what you know is right for that student. And then, you know, in the end, that student succeeds, and they're like, oh, my goodness, you did such a great job. And everybody forgets that, like, they were saying you shouldn't be doing that, you know, kind of thing. And Yoda's kind of in that same place where he's like, this is just what we're supposed to do, and we're going to do it. And we're going to do the best we can in this terrible situation. Whereas when we get him in Empire and Return of the Jedi, he is apprehensive about training Luke, but he's still willing to let Luke make his own mistakes, which he wasn't willing to let Qui-Gon do. uh, Or I shouldn't say willing. He didn't really have much of a choice. He didn't abide by Qui-Gon doing. He didn't allow Anakin to do. Um, A lot falls at the feet of Yoda pretty often for... You know the fall of the Jedi. I don't think it's all his fault, but I think what we see here is definitely that the brain power, the the head, the council was really messed up.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I mean, you could almost make the argument that maybe the wisest Jedi on the council at the time was Dep- was a uh, Depa Billaba.
3: Well, it's certainly not Mace Windu. <laughs> <laughs> I, had to get, I had to get that in there. We need more I'm Depa Balaba content. This long. We need more Depa Balaba
0: content. I wouldn't be surprised if we start to get it. You know, now that Rebels is done and we don't have to worry so much about Kanan. You know, I it just, seems like they're setting her up for something big. She was, she was such an interesting character in this, and I really liked her scenes and her interactions with Qui Gon. And just seeing that, you know, not only was she maybe a little bit wiser than the other 11 on the council, but she was just kind of more more approachable. You know, there, yeah. there's this really human and friendly element to her. Well, and it
3: it's funny because I guess a couple months ago now, I read Cloak of Deception where we have Depa Balaba and Qui-Gon on a mission together at one point. Um, and then, he, you know, here we're seeing them in, in proximity to each other. And it's kind of interesting. It's, it's almost like the Force wills it that these two characters are connected somehow. That would be really cool to get a Depa-Balaba Qui-Gon story, even if it was a short story, where we see Qui-Gon influence Depa in a way that Kanan will influence Ezra. And we see that...
0: Cool. Oh. You know what? Making Phygon truly the greatest Jedi of all time. Okay, slow down there. <laughs> I stand by it. Pull back
3: on those air reigns. Um, okay, so I've got two final questions okay. that I want to close out on. The first one is pretty, pretty. Uh, I don't want to say basic, pretty simple and interesting. At the end of the book, we see Dooku talk to Avaros and, and ask him if he will accept his offer, and, of course, Avaros goes the Qui-Gon way and says, no, I'm not supposed to. Like, I need to stay here with the Jedi. Was Avaros, was Rael Avaros supposed to be the original Ventress?
0: I vote yes. Right? Like, that's what we're supposed yeah.
3: to think, right?
0: Yeah, I vote yes.
3: And, and then I guess also here we had to think about, like, is Dooku a Sith at this point? And if he is is he already planning to overthrow Sidious is he just going completely against the rule of 2 or if he's not is he planning on starting like this third entity It's crazy
4: there's so I'm many implications to third for entity book.
3: Really so you don't think yeah. he was with Sidious at this time
0: no, because we know from the Darth Maul comic that he at the that at this point in time Maul was already with Sidious.
3: I gotta reread Darth Plagueis. Is there a point there where I guess there's not a point there where Sidious has both Dooku and Maul? There, I remember Palpatine talking with Dooku and getting the impression that Dooku was disenfranchised with the Jedi but it was kind of like a wink and a nod like, oh, yeah, this is where he gets that idea.
0: Right, yeah. right. And it certainly wasn't a matter of, you know, we're already in cahoots. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go with, at this point, Dooku is kind of just testing the waters. And if anything, was going to start his own kind of separate entity, not so much of Sith, but certainly of some kind of other Dark Force users. I mean, it's it could even be let's look at some of the other prophecies that are in here
3: i am you know, down for that
0: yeah it it could be a matter of maybe he misinterpreted one of the prophecies in here See, um i
3: have one in particular that i think it might have been what's that only through sacrifice of many jedi will the order cleanse the sin done to the nameless
0: oh okay right like and i mean technically he was right about that he yeah. he set it up where the the jedi had to really sacrifice themselves yeah
3: i mean yeah. it it makes sense I, i'm working on i'm working on an idea for for a piece on these prophecies and what which ones we've seen come true which ones we have yet to see come true and and what it could mean but going forward to episode nine the rise of Skywalker what lessons from this book could Rey use to inform this we'll call them new Jedi order even though that's a loaded term but what could what could Rey use from the lessons of Qui-Gon Jinn that we see in this novel to create whatever the Jedi are going to become
0: I mean there's so much here just about balance and It's not so much, you know, we need to find balance for an entire galaxy or for an entire order. It's so much about we need to find balance within ourselves and help other people really try to find it also. And how do we take this more microscopic level? I think she's going to stray away from here we are, this giant order, this giant organization, and we're here to defend every single person through these doctrines and through these codes, it's going to be much more microscopic and much more transactional.
3: When the force itself sickens, past Uh, and future future, must split split and combine. combine.
0: That, I think, was kind of my favorite prophecy in this. Um, That and the one about the egg. And I'd like to talk to you about that maybe a little bit later. But when the force itself sickens, past and future must split and combined. I like that one because it's, to me, about Rey and Kylo.
3: Yep, that's exactly you know, what I was saying. And, and
0: literally splitting the lightsaber. And then as we know in um, Rise of Skywalker, it seems like it's going to be restored and combined again. Love. How that happens, I don't know. But <coughs> we- Hashtag Raylo. Um... <laughs> where's adriana i need my backup
3: i mean guys the past and future must split and combine are you kidding me it's like right there splitting like what's the last jedi about about the past and the future splitting you know like luke says his his goodbye and his apology to kylo you know like you I mean, for break. for
0: me, it's more Ray symbolizes the past. You know, Ray is. Oh no, is... I think
3: Ray symbolizes the future.
0: Do you? Why? Yeah. Okay, so so let me hear me out, and I want to okay, hear okay. your argument here, then. For me, Ray is the past because she is so swept up in it. She is staying on Jakku for as long as possible, and she wants to go back to Jakku because she thinks her past is going to be there you know, and, and Maz Kanata has to tell her the belonging you seek is not behind you. It's ahead. And still she is so swept up in who her parents are. She goes into this cave on Octo and she is just enthralled by show me my parents, show them to me when she is with Kylo Ren. It's, it's about her parents and all she wants is to stay in the past and to solve the past. Whereas Kylo, on the other hand, is the future because he's literally there saying, let the past die. Kill it if you have to. It's the only way to be who you're meant to be. He is all about moving forward and moving into the future. So that's why I would say Ray is the past and Kylo is the future. Well, I would say...
3: I would agree with you in the sense of how they view themselves, right? Okay. But every character has you know, what they what they think they want and what they actually need, right? Mm-hmm. And Kylo thinks he wants the past to die so that he can go on to his future, but really what he needs to do is come to terms with his past, right? And what Rey wants is for her past to become her future, but what she really needs to do is just focus on that future. So really the direction that Kylo needs to focus on, the re- direction that Ben Solo needs to focus on is letting go of the past in terms of like, look, it's it's part of your legacy. It's part of who you are and you need to accept that as part of yourself. Whereas Rey needs to move forward into what she is supposed to become, which is a Skywalker. Does that make sense?
0: It does. I would say then that's the combined part. I'm looking at the split, you're looking at the combine. That's
3: fair. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Man, is it December yet? <sighs> Soon enough. Can you imagine? Uh, I think I'm going to have to reread this book in January just to see because I feel like there's nuggets in here.
0: Oh, yeah. There's going to be so much more there.
3: So, we, of course, have more to talk about with Master and Apprentice. We could go on for another three hours um, without any problem. And there's a good chance we probably will at points, but that's going to wrap up of our first conversation about this book. I'm thinking we'll talk a lot about it once we get a uh, Dooku Jedi lost, which we'll of course go over on this show, even though it's technically not a book, it's kind of got the audiobook format. So we'll talk about it um, after its release. But next episode, we want to actually continue looking at master and apprentice and answer your questions so Lindsay, i know you already have some from our facebook group that you've got uh tallied up you can uh send us those those thoughts those emails at clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com shoot me a tweet over on the tweeter um because that's where you tweet and uh that's at clashing sabers so of course you can j- just uh at me or or send me a dm whatever but we want your thoughts on this book your questions about this book um other topics that you want us to dig into on the next episode. So make sure that you send those our way. And Lindsay, if they want to send you questions directly, where can they do that?
0: Yeah, you guys can get me on Twitter, Miss Lindsay G, Ms. Lindsay G. We definitely want to hear what you guys think about this this book. It's so much to look at in terms of the characters we learn about, the state of the Jedi Order. Um you know the prophecies the force there's so many ways we could take this discussion so we definitely want to hear from you what's going to be important what thoughts you guys had so definitely send them over our way
3: all right and until next time keep reading keep writing
0: but whatever you do trust the force
3: everyone so just when you thought the fun and games were over we have some more for you uh we're gonna go now to a panel featuring ek johnston that our starships host adriana was able to attend uh this happened on the release of queen's shadow so there uh there's lots of good stuff in here so we're gonna take you to that right now
1: that was actually the last thing that i wrote for the book um, Jen Heddle was like, can you write a prologue? And I was like, but I really like the beginning. Um, and Jen was like, no, I, I think we should put in a prologue. And I was like, cool, it's going to be The Invasion of Naboo.
4: Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: and then I wrote it, and she was like, yeah, you can do that. So, um, But I definitely wanted to set it apart from the rest of the tone of the book. Um, and I wanted to sort of give it to Sabe right off the bat, to sort of show how the book was going to go, <laughs> um, in terms of splitting up the, the narratives. but. Um, I was, the first time I heard the Azoka audiobook, I like, the music started and Ashley said my name and the name of the book and like John Williams' music was playing in the background and I like burst into tears and Walt Disney world, which is a strange place to cry like that. <laughs> and um, so like I was kind of prepared, but not like people watching me this time. So. And then, I was trying to like keep it together.
5: We're
4: I don't about to keep it together. together.
5: Stop. <laughs> Stop keeping it together. Please. So. If that was the last thing that you wrote, what was your process in terms of writing the book? Did you have it sectioned into chapters? Do you, um, I, I, I've been doing this for a long time, so I know what all of you <laughs> writers are wondering. So do you outline, do you? did you have sections already?
1: Um, I outline for Star Wars. I don't outline my other books. OK. Um, but they like to know what I'm doing. So um, mm-hmm. I, I wrote an outline, and then I, before I wrote the outline, I had already written the first paragraph of the book. Um, and then the epilogue as well. And then I wrote the outline to sort of fill in the gaps between those two parts. <laughs> I'm trying to talk around it, but you know what I mean. Um, and, um, and but I did sort of have an outline, one. So I didn't really surprise myself at any point in this book um, where like a character showed up and I was like, oh, oh, I forgot to put a Jedi in the first draft. And they were like, could you maybe throw in one? And I was like, good point um, So. So I wrote one. Um, and I guess I am just really focused on politics.
5: <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of politics.
1: There is a lot of politics.
5: Mm-hmm. So now on to Catherine. So you were of the galaxy, which is no small feat in any stretch of the imagination. So, what sort of work or research is that? watching the films, which everybody seems to think that that's how we do all of our research—that we just watch movies over and over again. Yeah, I certainly um, do that when I'm procrastinating. <laughs> <laughs> so, how do you properly articulate in reference form who Padme is to both new and hardcore fans?
6: Um, wow. Well, I wish. You know, like, this publishing is always changing, there are always new stories coming out, but I wish I knew then what I knew now, just to add more to Padme and the Handmaidens, because they're such an important part of the story. And Padme, I think, gets overlooked sometimes, especially if people are only familiar with the films and maybe haven't watched Clone Wars. So, Clone Wars was my introduction. I mean, I saw all the prequels, but Clone Wars is, is my Star Wars, so that's the Padme. Woo-hoo.
2: <laughs> um, yes, that's so nice applause. Uh-huh.
6: So, that's how I got to know Padme. Uh was through those actions, really seeing that side of her between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith when she's in the Senate, um, on the ground, getting entangled in all sorts of matters, and it, it's Kat's voice. So I really wanted to communicate about Padme that she has given her life, a, more or less, to service, to to fighting for her planets, to fighting for the galaxy. And I can look, you know, she's mentioned in some comics. She appears, I think, a little in the Princess Leia comics. There's a reference to her when Leia's on Naboo. I can look to published materials that are out there. Clone Wars were a tremendous, like that series is a tremendous resource. I reached out to Kat to ask about
2: her thoughts. And, and which what? was really exciting. I, I was visiting my parents in Georgia at the time. And I, I remember I, re- I was like sitting at the kitchen table, like my childhood kitchen table, and I'm answering the questions. Was like, this is really so cool.
6: What does Katni mean to you? And I looked at her legacy. I think that's an important part of, of what she's left. And, and more than her children, which, of course, End up being tremendously, uh, you know, they have a big story in the galaxy. Maybe, maybe. 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 <laughs>
5: Spoiler. We're not there yet, even. We're in the prequels.
6: Right, right. Um, but something I think is important, you know, we see her in the prequels, uh, in deleted scenes, and then in the Clone Wars, interacting more with Mon Mothma and Bail Organa, and. To get to see more of that and Queen Shadow is really special because you can easily picture her. She was an influence. You can draw a line from her to the beginning of the rebellion and her willingness to question, even you know, when she fully believes in in the republic and in the democracy and what what they're trying to accomplish. But she has the sense to like be like, but aren't you guys really just talking? Like, are you actually getting things done? And I super respect that. So I tried to convince all of that into a few pages, and communicate, of course, about her tremendous fashion sense. Now she should not be discounted for wearing amazing clothes. And then I learned they're, st- like, they're even cooler than I thought they were. Uh, so these great
5: in the end. <laughs> all right, so that sets us as nightly. We're going to rewind back to when the prequels first came out for some of us um, we grew up with the originals me um, for some of you all the i mean the prequels are your originals um, they are as thrilling and exciting as walking into the theater for the first time in the 70s and seeing it and um, and I understand how special they are from, from being behind the scenes. And I know that there's a lot of contention you know, amongst the community. But, um, but we won't go there today. And, um, but let me talk about what it was like for you all to watch these movies for the very first time, um, and then seeing her as your Leia. So why did this character resonate so much for you all?
2: I I don't have a great first time of seeing any of the Star Wars movies stories, which is always such a bummer, and I always use Dee Bradley Baker's story because his is really good. Um, I just feel like Star Wars was always there, Like, and I was a big science fiction, fantasy fan, like Tolkien, like that's the stuff that I liked, um, so I always loved it. But the reason that I loved Padme is partially what we were kind of joking about, but also what these beautiful women here show is that I think it's actually really important that we still that we acknowledge that you can be feminine and like cool dresses Mm -hmm. and they might even hide weapons (laughs) (laughs) And and so I just loved that about this character that she was both of those things like she was girly Um, she had these amazing dresses and And yet, she was really strong and really powerful and also willing to get in there and battle. Um, So from the beginning, for me, she was just like, yes, that's my hero. Uh,
6: PADME, so I only saw Star Wars for the first time a couple years before the prequels came out when they were re-released in theaters, uh, the original trilogy. And I you know, I saw it at the time, like full like because my high school boyfriend and I was like, Yeah, I'll go check out these movies, super into fantasy, just somehow missed the sci-fi boat for a while growing up. And so, you know, that was what, ninety seven ish. And then by the time the prequels came out, like I was not with that boyfriend anymore, thank goodness. Um uh, <laughs> I did it did inspire me. I'm like, oh, these are new Star Wars movies, that's why they re released them. And I was I admired Tad May. When i saw fandomness but also i was intimidated by her. because i was like you're so young and you're a queen That i don't know where i want to go to college <laughs> and i feel like i should maybe be a little more together uh, so that's that was my initial impression of family i was like oh you're really taking care of business and i can't i like my mom's still doing
1: my laundry so. <laughs> Um, so I don't really have many memories before Star Wars because my older brother liked it a lot. So we had like records and books and all that kind of stuff, like vinyl. And, um, and I was also obsessed with the British royal family. So I learned Roman numerals earlier than like your average toddler. And um, very important, which was important because then I was like, Eric, why is it called Episode Four? And he was like, well, George Lucas has three more stories. We're literally never going to get them. I'm sorry that I have brought brought you into this world. And then in 1999, on my 15th birthday, I went to a movie theater, and um, the music started, and the words came up, and my friend Lydia and I both burst into tears, and um, I got back into Star Wars. And, like, I usually say that there's so many favorite characters in Star Wars but there's this conceit from the Doctor Who fandom that I really like where um, you have like your doctor (laughs) and for Star Wars Padme is my doctor. She's the reason I got into fandom. She's the reason I know (laughs) <laughs> um, through like friend of friend of friend of friends except now just friends and live journal that's just a style of time and <laughs> what
4: is thing you about the <laughs> <laughs> <Live Jones>?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, And so that's that's kind of for me where I started where I was like this this person, she's my age-ish and she runs the planet and she has really cool friends and they can shoot stuff and also wear nice dresses I've
5: been wanting to Telling them, um, I've been watching a lot of the prequel stuff to prepare for this, and also to celebrate, you know, the fact that we now have, you know, a Padme standalone novel. And just watching all of it now, I'm just like the pregnancy scene. Wait, has anybody seen the prequels?
0: <laughs> you never know. You'd
5: be surprised. But, like even going through the pregnancy scenes and and her like being like. She knows that like this thing is gonna happen and she's fraught with like conflict and like when Obi-Wan comes in he's like good luck with that. <laughs> I was I was literally watching it today and, like, first out laughing like, these little nuances that now you're like Yeah, good luck with that <laughs> It is insane and then you also think about, you know, it, to Amy's point tracing like the <clears throat> the chronology back, like, this is Leia's mom, that we just don't get to see enough of in the way that it's been developed now. And and it's just stirred up so much, so much. And so with this book, I'm so personally pleased with it, because we really get just a really rounded out um, portrait of who she is, what Naboo is like, what. The community is like more than anything because that really sets up the world building of politics versus personal relationships, how they are definitely conflicted with each other. Um, so it also makes it very relevant today, too, in a, in a way
1: that. You just did good. <laughs> I guess, I saw, I've seen like several reviews refer to it as timely, and I was like, I
5: wrote this book in 2017. Which is crazy. is <laughs> crazy. Um, so also to, to go back to you writing this book, you write an entire book from Padme's point of view. You feel her feelings. You make decisions for her through your own experiences, um, which is a lot. It is a lot. Um, but you also did this for Ahsoka Tano as well, where you have this character that people have an idea about. But you really get into the head. You get also backstories from folks in, in our story groups and from myriads of just random people who want to tell you
0: their feels about
5: these characters. We all get them. Um, so or again, for the writers in the audience who might be asking the questions in their head, how do you write from a place of knowing when these, like, you know who these characters are. You've seen them in situations. But now you have to put them in an entirely new environment that you've created yourself with that mindset. So how how do you do that? <laughs> yeah.
1: um, it was actually entirely different for me writing Ahsoka and writing Padme, which was useful. Because I think if I I'd, if I'd had, like, similar emotional connections to the two characters, they might have overlapped a little bit more. Um, and I would have had to work harder to keep them separated. Um, but Ahsoka, I, like... I love her obviously, she's fantastic but um, Padme was my role model as I was growing up and so a lot of the times I'd come to something in the book and I'd be like, would Padme do this because I would do this or would I do this because Padme
4: would do this (laughs) and like
1: trying to sort of dissect her decisions to make sure that I wasn't putting too much of myself into this book while also putting literally every easter egg I could get away with into (laughs) this book so I think it was it was a different sort of challenge, but it was super, super fun. Mm-hmm.
5: So also, I've read that you inserted some Canadian politics into Ahsoka.
1: <laughs> no, the Canadian stuff in Ahsoka is the board game. Okay, so it's a board game. So yeah. what did you insert into this? Um, the process for appointing senators, Okay. Um, which probably can differ from planet to planet. I don't know, there's a lot of planets. But, um <laughs> In Canada, like I, I was a reasonably informed person, and I found out that we have a Senate when I was in grade nine. When a senator made the news for not having showed up to work in a decade. And um, so our Senate is like modeled on the House of Lords, because Commonwealth. And um, basically, if you're like an astronaut or friends with Stephen Harper, they can like appoint you to the Senate, and that's how, like, the Senate, that's how you make a senator in Canada. So I was like, they don't need another election in this book. We're just going to she's just going to be appointed, and we'll move on from
5: there. That feels very Star Wars. Like <laughs> you just get to be this. Yeah, they, they elect
1: the queen. They appoint the senator. Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay
5: with that. So Catherine, going back to you, much like Ashley embodies the spirit of the Sogatano, you've been gifted with the spirit of Padme, um, both important and conflicted. So walk us through what it was like. Again, maybe there's actors in the audience, maybe there's voiceover people. How do you even audition for something like this? A, and then I'll have some other questions after that. So that'll be the first one.
2: So um, I was really new to voiceover when this, uh, when Clone Wars was, was auditioning. Um, but my first voiceover job had been a character in a Star Wars game. Um, Knights of the Old Republic. <laughs> 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 Can you say a character you I was Mission. I still am Mission. <laughs> <laughs> you scruffy nerve herder. You should have known that. I'm just kidding. Um, I will take it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, again, so it was a fan. Um, but when the auditions for Clone Wars were, were coming out, uh, it was such a big project, even though it was kind of secret, that they were really seeing, like, the who's who of voiceover and also on-camera people, and that casting person just didn't know me, so I was not on the list. But my agent at the time contacted her and said, "You, you have to see this new girl. She is Padme."
4: Yeah.
2: Um, and so I went in for the audition. It was um, at a studio in uh, in Burbank. Was it Bang Zoom? It was at Bang Zoom. For anyone who does acting work, <laughs> um, and uh, there were a lot of people there. It was. New and scary, um, went in, and then I didn't hear anything um, for a long time. And this was one that I really wanted. I mean, you want them all, but there's some that you just really want. And I remember like, I was like wishing on pennies. I'm like praying. I'm like, if I get this, I promise to always be grateful and do a good job. And I've had to remind myself of that. Um, And then about a month later, I was dog sitting for a friend of mine um, um, with Mr. Max, the mutt. And my agent called and said, hi, Padme. No. And I was like, that's not funny. And she was like, no, really. And then I screamed. And, um, and I found out later that there were, they were going through a lot of callbacks. Um, and Ashley's story about reading for Padme and then getting Ahsoka was part of why it took so long but they were like oh no we knew right away that it was you we didn't even have callbacks with anyone else we just didn't tell you because we were doing other stuff so um and dave dave filoni said um when i said annie which i added for you actors out there add a little life that's not on the page sometimes in your auditions that that was like that sold it so and scene (laughs) and
5: then when did you realize that this was like this was not only a thing that like this was a thing <laughs> um, immediately? <laughs> um,
2: because I again I I was a big Star Wars fan. I mean James can attest to that. Like. Um, I think Sam Whitware is a bigger fan than me, but otherwise I used to hold the, the crown um, as the biggest fan. And so we all knew coming into it, um, how important it was. And at the time, you know, when Rebels came out, Clone Wars had already existed. And so people were pretty open, but at the time there were a lot of people who were like, oh no, 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 I do not want a Star Wars cartoon. Um, and we knew what we were making was not, you know, just some silly, stupid thing that, that Star Wars fans weren't going to like. And we knew how much Dave cared about it and everyone involved and how much we were putting into it. But no one else did. Um, so it, it was. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot of pressure, good pressure, but there was definitely a lot of pressure, but it's all been worth it. And
5: then, <laughs> and then with Clone Wars coming
2: back. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. And that's a testament to our amazing fans, too, who never gave up, never, never stopped talking about the show, even, even, it's not even that they were trying to bring it back, but they just kept saying how much it meant to them and how good it was. And people like Amy, where it was like it was their introduction into Star Wars and just always kept saying, but you know what's really good? Clone Wars. I would have friends who were too cool to like watch it originally, and then it was on Netflix, and they'd call me up and be like, dude, your show was so good!
4: <laughs> I was like,
5: yeah! And then, folks might not know this, how long did you have to sit on the knowledge that Clone Wars was coming
1: back?
2: Um.
1: It, was, it was February, and then it was announced in July.
2: So much. Um, James we
5: gotta give James like a shout out. Okay? <laughs> James, please, James. James. Please.
4: Uh, so to yeah. Yeah. Hello there. <laughs> oh.
2: James is our unofficial woman of the galaxy. <laughs> That's been another amazing thing from this show. Um so you know, James and I are like best friends now and we're the same with Matt and Ashley and, and Dee and Tom and you know, it was it was great in that way too, just to and a family. Yep.
5: Make sure you get mm-hmm. extras with James too. <laughs> we we want to put everybody to work here. <laughs> so now jumping back to Amy. So you've been working in and out of the Star Wars universe for a while. Um, how did you get to write in this space? I literally wrote that and I was like, I'm. How something I think I'm making a terrible space pun, but literally, it's, it's a space. Um, because you've got a really interesting story as to how it all came to be. And so for folks who are like, I want to write for Star Wars or I want to be a journalist covering pop culture, how do you do that?
6: First of all, always embrace the puns. <laughs> um, actually, I can kind of trace this back to Clone Wars as well, because I you know, I didn't figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up until I was almost 30, which happens, and that's OK. Um, and. Even though people will tell you it's not, by the way, when you're late teens and early 20s. But it's okay, I promise. And it was through, I had just moved to Los Angeles uh, around the time Clone Wars had premiered. I was becoming more comfortable and being openly geeky. I kind of found my people here that I didn't have in a small rural town in the Midwest, in Ohio. And I was like, oh, I can just be open about loving Battlestar Galactica or SG-1. All of those things, and then Clone Wars came along, and I found people on Twitter that I could gush about these characters with, and like Ahsoka and Obi like Wan and Anakin. Look at them being buds. We can see more of that. That's cool. <laughs> and I would turn those into more articulate thoughts um, sometimes. <laughs> and I started my own blog, and that's through doing that. And I'm like, oh, I can write about Clone Wars, but I can also write about comics, uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, fictional drinks, and sci-fi, like. Things like that. And I'm like, this is what I want to do. And worked tremendously hard at it while I had a day job for a couple of years. And just put as much as I could on my blog as far as a variety. So anything from reviews, uh, if I could get interviews usually with comics creators at that time or, or authors, like I would have that format in the, in the like vein of like trying to build a somewhat complete portfolio of that. So then when I had the opportunity to meet an editor and be like, paid me to write for you. I had uh, you know, self-published, but I had a body of work I could reference and show, like, I'm serious about this. And then Ashley uh, Eckstein really helped me out for the season three or four, the season of Clone Wars that opened with the water episodes. Uh, three, three, I think? Three? Anyway, I, was anyway, I was like, somebody's okay. got this. <laughs> well, whichever ones those were, they had a great uh, blue carpet premiere at the aquarium in Long Beach. And that was my first like, carpet that I covered. And that was because Ashley um, put a word in for me with Lucasfilm PR. And that started a great relationship, a great friendship. Um, and it kind of just from there, I started picking up paying work slowly with places like IGN, uh, StarWars.com, which is super exciting. Um, basically, anybody that would give me coin, a reasonable <laughs> amount of coin to write an article. And then I felt, obviously, good about writing. And I slowly built up enough paying work to uh, leave my day job at the time, which was in pet food then, and focus on writing full time. And that's led me to a managing editor job at Nerdist. It's led me to writing for Star Wars Insider magazine, which it just is the coolest thing to see your name in print. And I often write for the internet, where that's you know it's not the same. Um, and then that led to being asked to write Women of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. And that's so what it. was it like in that call? It was an email, and I, I like I don't know why we think good things that happen to us are jokes, but I was like, I got the you know I got the email from the editor at Chronicle Books just to see if I was interested, and uh, I was at work at in the middle of the day, so I closed my laptop. I was like, maybe this is just it's not real, like it just automatically appeared, and I open it, and it's gonna be gone. I don't know, um, but it was still there, so that's great. And it's like yeah, of course I'm interested. So it was just a matter of and I, I'm sure other people have gone through this and you reply and you're excited, you're like, alright so I use a lot of exclamation points, so I write it back like how do I express the appropriate amount of enthusiasm not to like scare them off um, I don't remember what I hit, but it it was enough that we had a phone call, um, and that was it's surreal, like I once I kind of found this path I'm like, I want to write a Star Wars book, like that's a dream, and I want to write specifically like I'm not a fiction writer, so I, I love the reference stuff, those are some of my favorite books to read, whether it's going behind the scenes or talking about creatures or whatever it is so and to be approached to write about the women be the wonderful female characters in star wars like i couldn't have i mean i couldn't have picked a better first book like i just i'm still like i'm like i didn't believe like fully too until the books were like i got an advanced copy i'm like cool this has not been a really elaborate, <laughs> really elaborate. <laughs> and expensive um so
5: it's like oh, okay this happens it's cool now for Kate, I clearly have so much chill. <laughs> now for Kate, um, this actually wasn't part of the prepared questions, but I rem- when me and Kate first worked with each other on Ahsoka, I still remember I was on a plane when the book hit number one, and I called her, and I was screaming on a plane, because the big joke was that we, we would have to sacrifice goats in order for this book to hit a list, because Star Wars books just did not. They didn't hit YA list. and then when we did, I'm sitting there screaming and crying, and she's crying. We're talking about, you know, sacrificing goats, and people are like, hey, what? But, I bring, this is how I circle back. So, but now, to be called for a second time to write a solo book about a very important female heroine, how do you, how do you strike lightning twice?
1: Um, so, the, uh, both calls came from my agent. Um, and he couldn't pronounce Ahsoka when he called, so he had to like, spell it. And he got as far as the O before I started making really loud tea kettle noises. And he was like, so you're taking it? Um, but when he called, I had sent in um, a bunch of random stuff. And one of them was like a theoretical, you should maybe hire me to write this book. And um, he, so I was in Iceland. And it was summer, so it didn't get dark and it was like 11 o'clock at night, and I was like reading without turning the lights on because it was still like daylight-ish. And Josh texted me, and I was like, no, I'm on vacation. Like, why are you texting me? Did you not look at the world clock before you did this? (laughs) Um, And then I was like, I'm awake, call me anyway. So we called, and he was like, so they'd like you to write a Padme novel. (laughs) And I was like, cool. And he's like, where are you? (laughs) And I was like, I'm in Iceland, Josh. (laughs) He was like, oh. What time is it? <laughs> like, don't worry, I was awake. But um, So yeah, that was kind of the, we didn't have a lot of the details on the phone call. I didn't find out until I, I got back to North America. Um, but it was kind of, um, I was a little bit calmer the second time. Possibly because I was super jet-legged. And you were on top, basically. Yes, well it was summer, so it was like light sweater weather.
5: <laughs> so, um, where are we're just about out of time, but I always do a quick fire question round because they're fun and I like to do them, so bear with me. We're going to go through some quick questions and then we're going to open up the line to getting your books signed and your photos taken and your, all your high fives. So quickly, <laughs> everybody has to answer. Who is your favorite handmaiden and why? I know. I'm going to make you pick your favorite child <laughs> and I'm going to laugh about it. <laughs>
1: Mine is Sashay because I got to write that scene in the book they looked to. <laughs>
5: Done. Uh, Dorme for a lot of reasons, but also I'd love to have you get in braids. Sabe. <laughs> I
0: know
2: it's kind of obvious, but it's awesome. Okay.
5: So clearly Darth Vader is taken. <laughs> If you could hook up, or as we say, ship, to the kids these days, um, a villain with a hero or heroine. It could be same-sex, it could be non-binary, it could be whatever you want. Oh <laughs> <laughs> I gave you this question ahead of time. No, you didn't. You didn't, it this morning. I, I'll give you a repeat. I'll let you... I you go. You may or may not have been on the
6: oh, I'll go, Ventress uh, and in Ahsoka.
2: All right. I was gonna say Ventress and 3PO.
5: Clearly, oh. <laughs> we take this very seriously. You just, you know, just name about Ventress in someone.
1: <laughs> well, I was having an internal debate about whether or not Barris counts as a villain. All right.
5: Yes. Okay. Well, we'll open up to the audience. Does Barris count as a villain?
1: Yes.
4: Yes. 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 Okay. There we go.
5: Okay. As we know. Weapons are a big part of Star Wars. What weapon would you wield of
1: choice? You expect me to remember their names?
5: Well, you could also be like the thing with two things. Somebody here will correct us, I
4: promise
6: you. Well, how do you go last? Okay.
4: Uh, I want a four spike. <laughs> I just want an old
2: school blaster because I, I shoot in real life. So All I mean,
1: right. Oh. Okay. I was going to say Padme's hairpins. Does that count as a That totally
5: counts. Okay, that She's got like a million pins yes, in there. Many,
1: many them. Some of them. <laughs> Alright. Okay.
4: This,
1: this, everybody's been like, what's your favorite Padme look? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I know! This what I know! <laughs> I get this question a lot. Um, no, my favorite Padme look is the traveling gown from Attack of the Yeah, so.
5: Okay. None of them are here. Shame. That, I think that one. That one is like hand painted. She got She's sick. Yeah. Well, tell her we tell her we miss her and we thought of her today. What's her name? Liz. Oh, Liz. oh Liz. <laughs> tell Liz we said hi. We hope she feels better. Yeah. Well, wearing her costume is
6: good. Um, I gotta go with the Naboo Starfighter pilot, like this guy's costume. Like I love her hair in that way It also looks very
1: just like like I'd wear that. That looks very comfortable. I'd wear them all with uh, the action galaxy doll, whatever we ended up calling it. Yes. It has the pins on the back. It's fantastic. Oh. Yeah, because it's, it's in the box, but I opened mine because I wanted to see what their hair looked like from the back for research purposes. And, uh, and yeah, it's all like yeah, that's
2: cool. So as I look around the room, my answer is confirmed that that would be like picking my favorite child, and I will not do it. <laughs>
5: <laughs> no, I mean, okay. Here's this. It, it, depends, on, it on the day. You know? what, is your, what is your least favorite Padme look? Ooh. I'm going there. I'm going straight for the jugular, people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I,
2: I can I honestly, I don't think I have one. I mean, I you know how she, there's, there's a look where she... There's a couple
5: looks where she is not so far There's
2: a couple looks in the book that actually aren't even... The, the, the Dressing the Galaxy book that actually aren't even in the films that were questionable. But I don't know. I, I can make a case for all of them. And it, it's kind of like real life. Like some days you want, you wear this dress and you're like, you, you wouldn't wear it again. Yeah, yes. Some days you're in a bad mood and you need something like tough and dark and you wouldn't even think about wearing like pink and then other days you're like, I feel like pink. You know.
1: In, in that episode from either season three or season four, you might need a scuba suit. I, I love the scuba suit. I'm sorry. That was so, um, that
5: was, that was one of my choices. I would wear
0: that
2: <laughs> more than just in the water. So. <laughs> it almost reminds. Me, I'm gonna go
5: here on a like, You know that like Barbie has like all of the outfits. Is like really? It's like that was my
1: Barbie moment where I'm like, oh, now she's gonna plow a suit. Like necessary. They sell a set of dolls at Disney World. But you just like switch the heads. For of course them. they do. Of course. That's
5: much easier. <laughs> yeah. In my in my. Medi- it looks a little
1: creepy in the box, but it's just like a head and a bunch of
5: Disney. In my, my, of, my much <laughs> of all of the packages, there's this scene with she and Anakin and he's staring at her and she's at the railing with like all the curls and they're so perfect and she's just like at the railing with like her hair like this. And I'm just like You've got stuff going on. Your hair is way too perfect. And how is the Force not working right now to tell you? She has a lot of help. She has a hand. Oh, God, I need a hand mode in this at all-time Make sure that, like, in a moment of conflict, it's great.
4: <laughs>
5: all right. For a partner in crime, would you choose a droid or a creature? And by creature, I mean, like, a Wookiee or a porg or a... Something.
1: <laughs> Wookie. Okay. Wait um,
6: What is uh, in Solo an Ardenian? Is that what? Um,
1: oh, yeah. Yes. Wow, I just faithfully? that character.
6: Real. John Davro's character. What's his name? Rio. Rio Durant. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, one of those. He just seems like fun. That just looks like a lot of fun. I'm not. I'm, I'm generalizing. So specifically, I want him, I think, <laughs> That's, yeah, that, that specific character.
2: Have? Mine would be a creature and probably a Wookiee. My first Star Wars character had a Wookiee partner in Bar. so Aww. it's nostalgia, too.
5: Do you have a favorite Star Wars animal? i asked this before, and people like have very big feels about the animals.
4: <laughs> well, I really
2: love Salacious B. Chrome. And I don't know why, but I just do. So I guess I would have to say, I don't know that I would want him as my little pet. Because um, he's kind of a jerk. But, but I love that character. So
6: If you're a comedian, what a great pet. Just constant. Yeah. <laughs> Amy, you were a favorite cat. I'm
5: a
1: cat person, so star, cat, Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. Star, I, I, don't know what it's called, but the thing that Obi-Wan rides on the, um, the lizard. Boca.
4: Oh, Boca. I like the noise it makes. Um, <laughs> it is like. Raptal, so raptal, raptal, yeah. I'm all about the whole text. Take a at the boxes.
5: Okay, so last question. Da-da-da-da-da. When was the last time you thought, what would Padme do? <laughs> what well, was it in reference to, and did you do it?
1: <laughs> so my plane landed at LAX at 6:05. <laughs> and I was like, well, at least it's our universe. <laughs> 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 I don't even know where my first is. <laughs>
5: but you did it. But I'm here. And that's what Padme would do. That's what would do. Alright, ladies, you're up next. Now, I don't have a
6: specific example, but I do think of Padme, when I respect that a lot of her life is about duality, and she keeps a lot of things private while putting on a public face, I think that's sometimes a good way to approach social media for me. Um, so I think about that. like I relate to that.
2: Um, I think what I like and, and try to think about, too, is that her her practicality about stuff, even though that she really, she has something in mind that she wants, She's wise enough to look around and go, what do I, what pieces do I need? And the, the, the book does this so beautifully. What pieces do I need to do to make this happen? Um, and she's just brilliant in that way, and that's totally underestimated. So it's kind of like when you want an outcome in life in general, just going, okay, I could just do this. But what would be the most effective? And so it's those moments.
5: <laughs> All right. Well, that was our conversation for the night.